The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Welcome to the Week 13 Recap Podcast. My name is Pat Crane, and in just a few moments here, I'm going to be joined by everyone from the Rotor World team who covered the games for us today. We're going to be diving into all the context that you need to know for your fantasy teams. Let's get to the games. The Vikings defeated the Jets 27-22, to but Lawrence Jackson, this one came down to the final drive. Yeah, it came down to the final drive. It took a while for the uh for Mike White and the Jets offense to actually like they were moving up and down the field, but they couldn't punch in touchdowns earlier in the game. But uh this was a game where uh Mike White ended up having to throw the ball 57 times. They was down a couple of scores. Um he didn't throw a touchdown pass, but was very effective in the passing game, uh more specifically in the second half. Very effective in the passing game in real life. Very effective for fantasy because he fed Garrett Wilson, which is what we want to see. 15 targets for Garrett Wilson in this game. Eight for 162. Doesn't score here. Uh, I believe he missed him, uh, slightly overthrew him on on another whippy long play as well, right? Yeah, oh man, that was a touchdown. That was about a 70-yard touchdown. We'd be talking about this dude having a 215-yard day, man, which is crazy. (laughs) But, um, yeah, Garrett Wilson and even Corey Davis got in on the fun. Uh, Garrett Wilson, uh, his biggest play, the 60-yarder, he actually caught it about 20 yards from the line of scrimmage, broke a tackle, and then raced in the Vikings territory, much like what he did on his 54-yard touchdown last week against the Bears, just catching it over the middle, breaking the tackle, and getting downfield. Same for Corey Davis. He Corey Davis actually, the Jets were down two scores at the time. And in the fourth quarter, the Jets had no choice but to go for it on fourth and ten. Uh so he he caught one of his passes on one of his 10 targets. So he was eating as well. And we do know that Corey Davis was eating in the beginning of the season. Yeah, that's that's interesting, especially because Elijah Moore's been involved, but uh and he had six targets here, but only two for seven. Corey Davis had 10 targets, five for 85. So, you know, yeah. the, the hopes for Elijah Moore kind of recovering and doing like a Brandon Ayuk thing like, like from, from last year where Ayuk started really slow and then he kind of came back into the rotation doesn't really seem to be happening. Yeah, he he's in there, but, you know, and to be honest, going forward, it looks like it's Wilson one and Davis two, but it looked like that in the beginning of the season before Davis was hurt anyway. You add into the fact that there was, let's say, 12 targets that went to running backs, Ty Johnson and Bam Knight. You put that, and they were effective with those targets as well. So you add all in all, all that in there, and it's hard for Elijah more more to get his off. 
Yeah, the only issue here for the Jets was touchdowns because Mike White didn't throw for any touchdowns, and then he ran in a touchdown. So yeah. no skill player on the Jets recorded a touchdown, which is obviously pretty unfortunate. But let's talk about Bam Knight because he had 15 rushes for 90 yards. Uh, and as you mentioned, he was involved in the receiving game. He saw five targets going five for 28. Pretty bullish, I think. James Robinson was at four for 10 yards. Uh, yes. and, and Knight was well ahead of him. So what were your thoughts there? Yeah, so Bam Knight now in the fourth quarter, he had a 48-yard run that, uh, you know, that kind of inflated his average yards per carry. However, before that, he was getting solid runs for uh, most of the game. He was averaging uh, around four and a half yards per carry. So he was effective all game. He was the only Jets running back that got goal line carries. He wasn't able to cash in, but it was nice to see him get all of them. Uh, so it lets you know and also seeing him catch five passes, it lets you know that he's going to have a sizable role whether Michael Carter plays or not. The thing about it is it could go back to being a true two-man committee once Michael Carter gets back. We never th- we, we, we don't feel like they believe in James Robinson anymore, but they do still believe in Michael Carter um, at least. But Bam Knight has proved to be anything but a fluke. Yeah, yeah I think that's very fair. Let's move to the Vikings side. Justin Jefferson here does get in the end zone, sees 11 targets, but held to seven for 45. So a pretty disappointing game by his standards. But it seems like the bigger issue was just the passing game in general. He led the Vikings in receiving yards. Kirk Cousins only threw for 173 yards and a touchdown. Yeah, and, you know, it wasn't a big passing day for them because let's just be honest, the Jets are working with something good over there on defense, including what's probably the top cornerback tandem in the NFL. So wasn't much in the pass game going, but they had a steady run game going. Dalvin Cook got back on track with his 20 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown. Madison ran in a touchdown as well. So that just shows you what kind of ball they was going to play today. Uh, in the passing game, they didn't really need it because of the running game and because of their bend but don't break defense. It took the Jets a while to start, um, you know, punching it in for you know a touchdown so they I guess in football football wise they didn't need the passing game but if you started Justin Jefferson you kind of had a sigh of relief when when he scored that touchdown to uh, get him into double digit fantasy points yeah for sure and not much else in the passing game as you would expect with Cousins having a down day uh, Hawkinson had four for 33 on six targets Adam Thielen two for 27 on six targets uh, Jalen Rager was actually the second leading receiver he only yeah. had one target and one reception, but it went for 38 yards. Yeah, and that came very early in the game. Mm. And I think I saw that was like a scramble drill type of, like he kind of heaved it up. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. All right. So, yeah, um, not, nothing uh, not, nothing crazy in the passing game. But, you know, and you could tell, you know, Kirk Cousins was 21 to 35. That's not um, – and he's usually higher efficiency than that. That just, you know, that's the Jets defense who didn't sack him all that much, but the pressure started heating up on him as the game went along. All right, Lawrence Jackson, thank you. All right, man. The Steelers defeated the Falcons 19-16, to but Mark Garcia, maybe the bigger news here is that Drake London came back to life with a 50% target share. 
Yeah, and he's a uh, over like the first eight weeks of the season, right? He was kind of hanging in the top five in the NFL and in, in targets per route run, in team target market share, around kind of around thirty percent in each of those metrics, and he exploded for a fifty percent target market share today. Obviously, only on uh, twenty four Marcus Mariota pass attempts, but um, you saw the efficiency was lacking. He only caught six of those for ninety five yards. Did rip off a nice 37 yard as his uh, uh, yard reception as his long catch, but again, held out of the end zone. And this was a game where we kind of saw a subdued game plan from both sides. Um, Mariota, only the 24 pass attempts. Pickett, only 28 pass attempts, which we've seen the Steelers really open it up if they had to. They just were not forced to this game. They kind of It was just a kind of nice, easy game plan, controlled environment. Yeah, I was thinking that, the Eagles might be, or the Eagles, the Steelers might be kind of efficient here, even though uh, they weren't going to be particularly voluminous. Uh, you know, there's never a ton of, of volume in Falcons games. They don't run many plays themselves, and opponents don't have to necessarily run a ton of plays because you can run a lot. And we actually did see efficiency on the ground from Najee Harris, which is not something we see a lot of. 17 rushes for 86 yards. Doesn't score, but um, that's a little bit bullish, right? Yeah, particularly after he came into the game um, with the big, fat, juicy, questionable tag. Um, his mm-hmm. status was up in the air really until Saturday um, with it looking more likely that he was not going to play. Um, we saw the the Benny Snell hype, the, the Jalen Warren hype on the waiver wire articles last week. So um, the one, the surprise that he was active and then two, that he handled kind of the workload he did. And then three, that this was one of his more efficient games on the season all was this like kind of head scratcher uh, this week um, probably has a lot to do with the opponent. You know, Pittsburgh has struggled in, in run blocking metrics all season, but against a team like Atlanta where they are none, the stoutness um, it was really led to Najee's most efficient game of the season. In the receiving game for the Steelers here, Pat Fryermuth had five targets going three for 76. It's been kind of looking like as I've written up the Steelers, that you could argue he's their top receiver. He certainly was here. Deontay Johnson, five for 60 on 11 targets. So lots of volume for Deontay Johnson. Not so many yards, nothing new there. But George Pickens, two targets, one reception for two yards. I mean, Frymuth really does feel like the guy that's like the most comfortable start here. It's uh, it's a, it's a, I guess the best answer is I don't know because all of uh, all of Fryermuth's production came in the first half, so mm. it was like they they weren't throwing um, throughout the game like we've typically seen from the Pittsburgh Steelers. But Deontay was kind of the the first read option for the majority of the of the game. Um, Fryermuth ripped off fifty seven of those seventy six yards on one catch. He didn't see any volume in the second half really, um, and it's the same story with Deontay Johnson. He is like amongst the league leaders in expected fantasy points of the wide receiver position. And he has the biggest Delta in actual fantasy production um, in the league really this year. So five for 60, he's maintaining this low eight out role, this, um, this, a lot of slants, a lot of low upside generating routes, um, mm-hmm. slants, outs, crossing really like we haven't seen much upside generating um, production from Deontay and he's really just not being placed in the position to see those high value targets. And even for Kenny Pickett, um, sorry, for George Pickens from Kenny Pickett, what we've seen from that tandem this season is like, it feels a lot like Pickens is kind of just having to make the play. Like the, they're really not 
connecting like we would want a you know prototypical z type wide receiver off the line of scrimmage wide receiver um, beating his man and getting the ball in open space a lot of pickens production this season has come in contested catches in these spectacular twisting you know crazy catches and when he's not making those plays we're seeing this subdued production kind of like what we saw today it's almost like he's like kenny pickett's gabe davis yeah, yeah, a lot for sure. Doesn't doesn't feel great. Uh, yeah, not great I want box. Josh Allen, Gabe Davis, not Kenny Pickett, Gabe Davis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe in three years we can reassess that <laughs> one. But yeah, uh, let's let's talk briefly here about the Falcons just to close out. Uh, we talked to London. That's really the only thing that needs to be talked about with the Falcons as far as the receiving game goes. But just want to note, still a split backfield here. Cordero Patterson, eleven rushes for sixty yards. Tyler Algier. 10 rushes for 52 yards, kind of same old, same old. Yep, same old, same old. Um, early down rushing and finding themselves in in long down and distance um, on second and third downs, kind of the name of the game. You saw that's why they had the uh, uh, very little offensive efficiency. They were getting off the field numerous three and outs. So until they kind of alter their offensive identity, their game plan, away from just pounding the ball in early downs and looking to pick up third downs. We're just going to see this offense continue to struggle, I think. Yeah, so next year is what you mean. Uh, well, maybe <laughs> at, even not. At, at the earliest. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, Mark, I see you. Thanks. Thanks, man. The Lions defeated the Jaguars, and Patrick Darty, the Lions have now scored 35 points or more in four home games this season. Man, that's a stunning statistic. I wasn't expecting to get welcomed in by one that was just like knocking me on my back. And I mean, Dan Campbell, he's the bad team beater, isn't he? Like he just knows what he's doing. Uh, the Jaguars defense, I don't know what they were doing today. I mean, it was like they weren't even on the field. They let Jared Goff go 31 of 41. Uh, had, a, I think, maybe his biggest game as a Lion. Uh, I, I actually wish I had double-checked that before, but his 340 yards were second most of the season, two touchdowns, probably his best overall performance of the year. And they just, like, weren't – the Jags were, like, really laying off and, like, soft coverage. They were just letting Amon Ross St. Brown do whatever he wanted. I mean, they're having to devote more defensive attention to DeAndre Swift, which we'll get to in a minute. So a lot of weapons to account for. Jamison Williams played a few snaps, uh, but really bad day for the Jaguars defense. Really good day for Jared Goff, who just kept it simple. Lock on to ARSB, lock on to DeAndre Swift. DJ Shark also being finally being healthy and actually providing a downfield element. He almost doubled his previous season high for yards in a revenge game against the Jaguars. And just a really strong overall day from the Lions passing attack. Yeah, I saw uh, Amon Ross St. Brown. Never quite get the ARSB. I know. Well, I I'm assuming. I hope people know it because I've started using it in like headlines. I'm, I feel like you could probably put it together. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who could this be? Yeah, yeah. and you know, when it's right, it's by a picture of his face too. Uh, so <laughs> yeah. our audience, our audience is, is sharp yeah. enough. Yeah, they are sharp. Uh, so I saw him take a really hard shot over the middle. Uh, that didn't lead to anything. No, thankfully, that seemed to be the classic win knocked out of him. He was never announced to the ribs designation. I mean, he took a hellacious shot right to his midsections. I was really worried. But this being ARSB, he held on to the ball. He didn't even drop the ball. And, yeah, he missed, like, one or two plays. It really just seemed like he was trying to get his breath. Like, he got hit in the exact wrong spot uh, for his short-term health, like, for the next minute or two. 
but the exact right spot for his long-term health did, did not seem to be a ribs kill shot. Okay. All right. Good. Um, and then, yeah, let's talk DeAndre Swift because 14 carries here, 62 yards and a touchdown, four receptions on six targets, goes for 49 yards. Like this was the DeAndre Swift who we drafted. And it's been such a long road to get back to this. Justin Jackson still had one rush for four yards. So I guess he was out there a little bit. Five targets. So he's out yeah, there two a lot. drops, Justin Jackson, by the way. Get him off. Get him off the field. Three for 19 for Justin Jackson. So, you know. It seems like it was still a three-way split, but uh, Swift led the way in rushes. So, so tell me about the backup. Well, just a ton of snaps for the, the Lions. Just ran a ton of plays because the Jaguars weren't sustaining drives. Uh, and uh, Justin Jackson, I think you could basically call him just a breather back at this point. And by the way, it's sad that like Justin Jackson has become like a get this guy off the field because we do love Justin Jackson. He's but like only because our... he's the third guy. Because Jamal Williams is that we can't have a breather back when Jamal Williams no. is already like a one B. Sometimes the one A. We cannot. So DeAndre Swift, you know, his health was trending a lot better for week 12 ahead of Thanksgiving. And that's where he finally was like re-involved in like high value situations. He was like getting targets on third downs, getting snaps on third down. They got a few important carries in that game. Then he had 10 days to heal up, was not on the injury report this week. And like the Lions appear like they're being honest with their injury report designations. And they had him getting healthier and healthier. 18 touches today is most since week one. Uh, 111 yards from scrimmage also is most since week one, getting really high value touches. Finally got a, got a goal line carry. We had the classic, he got all the way down to the one on one of his big plays. But instead of subbing in Jamal Williams, they went hurry up, gave the ball to DeAndre Swift, took a, a, a nothing play and turned it into something by bouncing outside, showing off his special ability. And you know, Jamal Williams still got a, he got a one yard touchdown to cap the opening drive. He got a carry real late in the game from a five-yard line. So, I mean, Jamal Williams, 14 touchdowns. We're not under any illusions like the goal line role is going to change. But, yeah, this seems like the backfield, not just fantasy managers envisioned all along, but the Lions, because Jamal Williams, you know, has not been providing explosive plays in the running game. He's not even getting targeted in the passing game. DeAndre Swift has been a huge missing element all year. I mean, really kind of like the missing piece type of element for this offense and yeah, yeah, if he's avoided injury as far as I know against the Jaguars, and looks like he could be like a top twenty guy finally. Yeah, and to the point of Jamal Williams not getting targeted, uh, the first stat that I opened the show with was our was from our researcher Johnny. I have a stat though. Uh, let me see if I can blow you away with this. Jamal Williams got a target in this game, his first target since October. Man, and it's so weird because he was actually a fairly good pass catcher with the Packers. Like, fairly good, meaning he's, like, replacement level. But he's, like, replacement level at everything. So I, I've always been thankful that they don't involve him in the passing game, but I'm, I, I am shocked that they don't. Yeah, it is, it is uh, a little odd. But, yeah, if we're getting five targets to Justin Jackson, we don't need any for oh, Jamal man. Williams. Man, just get him, off, get him off the field. <laughs> get him off the field. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned the missing piece element. I guess, you know, probably worth noting that this is a team that put up 40 points uh, and not when they were pushed, by the way. They they were out leading this game. Uh, this isn't some shootout where they're trying to come from behind, and they are eventually going to get Jamison Williams back. So Yeah, yeah. and exciting yeah, offense. They could have had over 50 points. They settled for a bunch of field goals, like in the second quarter, where they went up 17-3 to and 20-3. to And so, like you said, yeah, they kept playing ball, and they, they were not just running the ball in the second half. when They are up 30-6, to and they didn't just stop running the ball, and what ended up – a 40 to 14 victory. 
And Jamison Williams, to that point, got his first target, his only target, uh, real late in the third quarter. It was it was a downfield target, though. Um, All right. That's it. So we're talking about missing piece, too. Yeah, I mean, DeAndre Swift was kind of a missing piece, but so is DJ Shark, who is finally appears healthy. And, you know, it was a much better downfield uh, threat than Josh Reynolds when both are at full health, you would presume. And then, yeah, Jamison Williams, who could be like the ultimate – it's going to be more of like a role-playing deep threat than like an every snap, like clear out type deep threat is DJ shark. But yeah, they're getting a, a lot of missing elements back here for the stretch run where I mean, maybe trying to make a surprise playoff run. Uh, they got the, the Vikings, the jets, the Panthers, the bears, the Packers, like they could stack up some, some dubs there in a really, really bad conference. And a lot of teams that it looks like they can maybe score 40 points on not including the jets in two weeks, but uh really, really fun team. We thought the Jaguars were a pretty fun team. You know, they've been looking frisky lately. And then Trevor Lawrence only throws 179 yards in this game, does throw for one touchdown, um, but, you know, not a very strong game. The touchdown goes to Evan Ingram, which, like, you know, we're expecting him to support Christian Kirk and Zay Jones. Christian Kirk does have 104 yards here, so that that was nice. But Zay Jones only two for 16 on seven targets. Uh, obviously, a pretty rough game for him. Now, I guess let's start with Lawrence. He suffered a knee injury in this game, right? And it looked potentially like real bad. It looked really, really bad, uh, but he didn't miss any time. It was in the final snap of the first half. He played the entire second half. Uh, again, they were losing like by three scores at halftime, I believe. And he only had 54 yards passing after the break. So kind of maybe easy to project like health concerns onto that second half box score. But he had two scrambles where he was like cutting in the second half really did not look to be inhibited by his knee. I said afterwards, you know, he expected to be sore this week because it was like his whole leg. I don't even know if really if they zeroed in on if it was his knee or his ankle specifically. He's got the whole thing like pinned underneath him. But maybe it was just the adrenaline. But he was scrambling in the second half. Like you said, he got his tutter in the second half. Uh, Evan Ingram, who, you know, uh, better late than never, I guess, Evan. Uh, your second <laughs> touchdown of the year. We thought you were going to be a compiler, and instead you're just doing nothing. Yeah. Uh, Christian Kirk, eight targets, Zay Jones, seven, as I mentioned, Travis Etienne, three targets, three catches for 12 yards, rushes 13 times for 54 yards, doesn't score uh, as a receiver or a rusher and loses a fumble. Pretty disappointing day for Travis Etienne. Uh, I'm not sure if, you know, you're, you're playing DFS, but, uh, if, you know, I'm talking <laughs> to the listeners here, but if you were, you, Travis Etienne was one of the, the most fun plays to, to see in your lineup when, kickoff occurred because he was much less uh, popular than I thought he might be. Ended yep. up being a total killer. Brutally disappointing. I have, I have something to say about all three of those players real quick, but some good news. So the bad news is, yeah, he didn't do anything. He lost an early fumble, but didn't get the touches you're expecting. They couldn't sustain drives. I, I don't know why they just could not sustain drives against what is not a good Lions defense. And he, he was part of that, yeah, with the fumble giveaway. But, I mean, the good news is the foot – it appeared to be truly precautionary in week 12. Daryl Henderson was inactive with an illness and they, Michael Hasty still didn't even get a touch behind Travis Etienne. <clears throat> Snoop Connor got one carry. So he is healthy. Uh, the, 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 the small, relatively speaking touch count was just because of, they couldn't keep drives going. Uh, and then the receivers, Christian Kirk, hundred yards for the second time in three weeks. Zay Jones, I think it was seven targets. He had multiple drops. One of them was a third down drop that forced the Jags to kick a, kick a field goal. You had five catches, three straight games. Uh, just a really, really disappointing day for Zay Jones, though. Should we like 
reconsider this Lions defense at all? Uh, is that is that going too far? But I mean, they've been kind of viewed as one of like the spots that you you know we expect opposing offenses to just be able to go off against them. And you know, for the Jaguars to struggle this badly, Lawrence only took two sacks, but uh, you know. It kind of shut them down. They did. And, you know, they played pretty well against Josh Allen on Thanksgiving uh, where they did lose. Josh Allen still made a bunch of big plays. You know, Stefan Diggs still went nuts, but like they made Josh Allen work for it. And yeah, I guess Josh Allen been kind of turning the ball over against everyone recently, but it has been a pretty good two week span for the Lions defense. And but real quick to on the Jags pass catchers, we, we kind of have to go right back to Zay Jones and Christian Kirk in week 14 because they get the Tennessee Titans, who, as yeah, we the Eagles showed Sunday, you can throw on the Tennessee Titans <laughs> and gen- generate big plays through the air. You sure can. All right, let's move to the Seattle Seahawks, who beat the Los Angeles Rams 27-23. to A little closer, though, than I yeah. think we were expecting here. Uh, this is one of those weird games where, like, every time I looked up at the TV – like it was kind of hard to remember who was winning. Like that's nineteen to seventeen, the Rams. I don't really know how that happened. Or uh, <laughs> oh, it's fourteen to eleven, Seahawks. I thought the Rams were winning somehow, and the Seahawks were mostly in control of this game. But it was one of those weird things with the Rams. Like it was hard to even figure out how they were generating offense because everyone is hurt. You know, there's no Cooper Cup, there's no Allen Robinson, there's no Matthew Stafford. There's no Daryl Henderson anymore. Even Tyler Higby like, still seems banged up. So there's like spreading the ball around to everyone, like basically trying to find someone who can generate offense. Like I was saying to you before we came on the air, Brandon Powell had seven touches. Tutu Atwell had four rushes. Tutu Atwell actually led in receiving yards of 48. I think like seven or eight guys had like two, two receptions, but only one had more than two. And so like since no one was having like a big individual day, it's kind of like, man, how are they even moving the ball? But they're just kind of like, they're really just like an experimentation mode. I don't know if they're trying to find role players who can help them in 2023, you know, see if Tutu Atwell actually has anything. But they're, they're totally making up as they go along. Cam Akers all of a sudden out touches Kyron Williams 17 to three after Kyron had the touch advantage in week 12. So he scores his first touchdowns, I think, since week four, only his second and third touchdowns of the year. And so they, the Rams seem to be in full-blown like evaluation experimentation mode, obviously not surprising uh, with so many key players out for the year. Yeah, seeing Tutu Atwell lead the way uh, is pretty wild. Uh, now, I've only caught you know some, some highlights of this game on Red Zone and stuff, uh, but what I believe I saw happen is that a defender stepped on John Walford's foot and then his foot actually fell off and they <laughs> they put it back on and he came back and hit Van Jefferson for a, a downfield throw. Is that right? Yeah, you got to give credit to the Rams doctors. They got that <laughs> foot reattached real, real quick. Uh, he got stepped on real bad. And this is earlier in the game. He got a shoulder racked too. And then he was standing on like the sideline, like wearing a harness. Like, man, how's this guy going to come back in the game? And then he did. And then very soon after that, he got stepped on. So uh, props to John Wolford earning some uh, some much needed, much deserved warrior points. Seriously, all right. Let's uh, let's talk the Seahawks here. Tyler Lockett, huge day, nine for one twenty eight and a touchdown. DK Metcalf, eight for one twenty seven, and I believe the game winning touchdown. Uh, Geno Smith throws for three touchdowns here. He has at least two touchdowns now in six straight games. Uh, it's been quite the year for Geno. Threw for three hundred sixty seven yards in total. Uh, his passing game productive and flowing through the guys we wanted to, to flow through. 
It's true. Gino, so it's weird about the multi-touchdown stat, though, because there's only a second three-touchdown game through the air all year. So mm. Gino, every week he's been, like, furnishing that floor, and it's like the ceiling hadn't really been there. He he just keeps producing no matter what is, like, a low-end QB1, but the next year it just hadn't been there. It was there today, so it's the second three-touchdown game. His 367 yards through the air were his most of the year. His, his, his game-winning comeback drive, this is not a joke, was his first since 2014. I can't take credit for that stat. They were like really uh, <laughs> pumping it on the broadcast. But his first game-winning drive since 2014, and it was he was playing well. Also maybe related to the fact, of course, though, that Ken Walker departed with an ankle injury. Then DJ Dallas at like the exact same time injured his ankle. And then Tony Jones, the only remaining healthy running back, got shaken up. And Jones stayed in the game. DJ Dallas did return to the game. But they basically could not rely on the running game because everyone was hurt. They had to put it on, on Geno's shoulders, and, yeah, he responded with just an amazing game. And, to, again, to the guys we want, 17 combined catches for Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. Matches season high for catches for Lockett. 12 targets were a new season high. 128 yards were a new season high. First Seahawk, another stat from the broadcast, first Seahawk to have a receiving touchdown in five straight games. Uh, so yeah, like the players, the Seahawks needed to step up, stepped up. DK Metcalf probably his best overall game of the year, and yeah, he scored the game-winning touchdown on Jalen Ramsey in the end zone, and he seemed really psyched about it. <laughs> yeah, that seems <laughs> seems like something to get psyched about, especially because uh, he had uh, drawn a personal foul earlier in the game for arguing with Jalen Ramsey. So oh oh wow yeah yeah, yeah so, I'm sure yeah. he didn't remind Jalen Ramsey. Yeah yeah I know I know but yeah they weren't talking at all after. Oh. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, the backfield here, kind of a mess. What what was the deal with Walker's uh, injury? Do we know anything about this? His ankle, I mean, it doesn't seem particularly great. It was a fairly quick rule out. Uh, DJ Dallas, though, then was given a, a doubtful tag, but then had to – he played through the doubtful tag. Oh, man. <laughs> because uh, felt really bad for the guy. But instead of making, you know, Ken Walker play through, like, a doubtful or questionable tag, like – Obviously, they made DJ Dallas do it instead. Um, he's really taking one for the team. Uh, so, Tony Jones, I mean, Travis Homer, I believe, was only inactive because of an illness. So, Travis Homer will probably be back for week 14 against the Carolina Panthers, but could be could be a Travis Homer, uh, Tony Jones backfield. Tony Jones didn't look too good. Uh, guy always struggled to make plays for the Saints. One of his touches was, or didn't go down as a touch, it only went down as a target. Because he basically just let the ball get ripped away from him for, for a Geno Smith interception. Went in the box. One of those things that went in the box score as an interception, but really should have been a fumble. Um, so the Seahawks might have to sign someone this week in the backfield. I knew that Tony Jones had made a mistake, and I couldn't figure it out from looking in the box score what it was. I couldn't remember either. Uh, so I'm glad you mentioned that. Uh, did we note that Fant was the third touchdown here? Four for 42 on five targets. His second tutter as a Seahawk. Uh, I think only though it was only the second time in the past six weeks that he reached four catches or forty yards. Again, I'm just kind of chalking this one up to they couldn't really run the ball because everyone was hurt, so the pass game volume was higher than usual. Someone's got to get some targets, and it went down as Noah Fan. It was a nice play. They kind of just forgot about him in the back right corner of the end zone. Uh, but yeah, I, I would not expect that one to be predictive going forward. Yeah, for sure. It helps the best ball roster. So it does. We'll yeah, yeah. You gotta help. Gotta help him out. Gotta help a best ball brother out. That's right. All right, Patrick Darty. Thanks. My pleasure as always. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy-six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy-six yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Just a reminder that if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app, go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands this weekend by predicting what will happen in college football, on the PGA Tour, and in the World Cup. There's also $100,000 up for grabs by guessing the outcome between the Dolphins and the Chargers in our Sunday Night 7 contest. The Packers defeated the Bears 28-19, to and Christian Watson, Kyle Dvorak, now has eight touchdowns in his last four games and four straight games with a touchdown. Uh, yeah, he had two in this one. The first was it was a lot of we're getting a lot of prayer yards to start this game for, frankly, a lot of the Packers players, Christian Watson included. And once we got it was a short 14 yards, you know, medium short touchdown. You thought, oh, well, that's nice. You know, we sort of make up for the loss of the prayer yards with the touchdown regression cuts both ways. And then he gets a 40 something 46, I think, yard like end around jet sweep type of rushing touchdown where the entire defense bit on, you know, the fake run going opposite of the way he was going. And uh, he, he goes untouched into the end zone. Like, like math is cool, and all, but Christian Watson is so much cooler. He is so much better than your stupid regression models. He is a <laughs> like, Obviously, he won't keep two touchdowns a game up, but he did, I believe, tie for a team high in targets. Just eyeballing it, I would guess he tie or he had a, a clear lead in terms of air yards as well. They look to him in the red zone. He gets rush attempts, which he can sometimes score on. Like, obviously, I don't think he scores at this pace, but do I think he should lead the Packers receivers in scoring? Yes, all of his touches are high value touches. And that's more you can say about Alan Lazard, who probably sees a similar distribution of targets in terms of the team's targets, but they're not red zone targets as often as, as Watson's have been, and they're not 20 dot targets. So it's going to like, yeah, we'll probably at one point hit a low. We'll miss out on all of our red zone targets, but the highs are going to keep being high. And I think they will be frequent as far as you can expect a player to achieve ceiling outcomes. Yeah. I would say he's not like as clearly the number one on his team as Chris Olave is, yeah. but it's a similar archetype where, he is a downfield receiver who's also emerging as the top target earner on his team. And there's so much upside yeah. when you have the combination of top target plus really high ADOT. Yeah, and his quarterback's better than Chris Olave's. I like that comp too. Yeah. It's like the, the guys who can stretch the field, but stretch the field like once a drive and then pepper in some shorter stuff. Like those are the guys who are going to consistently, consistently hit their spike weeks because you don't have, you know, this massive 30% target share for Watson. There will be, you know, down weeks but you're totally willing to weather them. And maybe who knows? Maybe he just doesn't have down weeks. It doesn't feel like it at this point. <laughs> I feel like now, now he definitely will. I know, I know, I've cursed him. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're all so giddy about the eight touchdowns. It's, it's bound to happen. But, I mean, very, very impressive season, like, already for Christian Watson. Uh, Alan Lazard, uh, you mentioned, you know, pretty similar role in some ways. Not as valuable, but they both have six, six targets here. Five for 67 for Lazard, three for 48 for Watson with the touchdown, plus the rushing touchdown, another 46 there. Uh, not too much else to cover, I don't think, in the receiving game for the Packers. Uh, let's move to the backfield. Aaron Jones, 9 for 26, rushing. He did have five targets going 5 for 24. A.J. Dillon, though, leads the way with 18 carries for 93 yards and a touchdown. Was Jones banged up in this game? 
Yeah, Jones left early in the game with a shin issue. He's been on the injury report for, I want to say, either two or three weeks with the shin injury, but it really did seem like maintenance. You know, he would be like limited or DNP Wednesday, whatever the case was, and off the injury report after Friday's practice. But obviously that is, I assume it's the same, like shin issues aren't really a common injury. So I assume it's the same one that popped up in this game. He eventually returned in the second half, but I believe, actually, I think he returned after one drive. He went down. I think it was sometime in the second quarter. He returned like a drive or maybe a drive and a half later. But by the second half, he was almost completely phased out of the game. And that almost certainly is based on the injury. He had two carries at some point, I think, in the fourth quarter. But outside of that, I mean, they clearly basically just put him on the bench for the rest of the game to give A.J. Dillon the ball. A.J. Dillon was doing well, so there wasn't a strong incentive for them to force Aaron Jones clearly banged up into this game. Any thoughts on Rodgers and kind of how he looked out there? Because... The Packers won this game 28 to 19, um, but two of their scores came as rushing scores. Watson ripped off this 46 yarder that we talked about where he's untouched. That obviously helped a lot. Rodgers only threw for 182 yards and one touchdown. So it wasn't like a particularly impressive game from him, at least on paper. Yeah, definitely wasn't. It seemed like the bulk of what I'll call his success, the bulk of his completions essentially were just checkdowns to the running backs, like shovel passes to the running backs. It was clear they didn't have much going downfield. I will say, like, it's always hard to tell from the broadcast. The receivers didn't get great separation in this game, but there were some miscues from Rodgers. He had Christian Watson open with a step on the receiver, not wide open, but at least a step on uh, or a step on his defensive back. And he just underthrows the ball. Luckily, Watson draws DPI trying to fight back for it. Defender's not even looking. It just kind of runs through him. So Watson sort of picks up, uh, you know, that's where some of the prayer yards come from. So, uh, you know, I don't think he had receivers getting open at will that he wasn't throwing to, but his deep ball didn't seem perfectly dialed in this game. Because like I said, there were a lot of deep shots. He had Randall Cobb potentially with a step on his defensive back in the end zone couldn't make it to Cobb so there were like more miscues from a quarterback who I think most of his shortcomings this year have not been physical right he hasn't looked like he doesn't have the arm anymore this one I assume would blip on the radar but it was some some miscues on deep throws this time on the Bears side Justin Fields was the Bears leading rusher he had another 55 yard (laughs) touchdown run in this Christian Watson of quarterbacks truly uh six rushes 71 yards and a touchdown not as impressive as a passer, does throw for 254 yards, but doesn't throw for any touchdowns and threw for two interceptions. Yeah, the there were like the highs for for him were so high as, you, as has been the case pretty much since like they came out of their bye or something around week six when they started to really feel like they found their stride. The highs have been incredible, as, as you said. The 50 some yard touchdown started where he had a, like a one on one, basically like an ISO play with a defender deep behind the line of scrimmage. Jukes him out of his shoes, and at that point, he kind of just went to the house. No one can stop him with how fast he is. Two awesome deep palms to uh, Equinemius St. Brown, I believe, and the other one to Keel Harry, who did make a really incredible like, diving, ladder-climbing catch, but they were very well-thrown deep passes to receivers who weren't completely open. They were at least, and even if they did have a step on their defender, massive throws, like just long-distance air yards throws. But then the interceptions, one of them, I think it was to Equinemius St. Brown. And I think he wanted Equinemius St. Brown to cut his route off and turn around faster than he did. I'm not sure if that's a communication thing or just simply ESB not exactly knowing the timing and the rhythm of what route he's running. The last one, both of these were on the final two drives too. Like if you're hoping to get a little bit of garbage time production, try and get them to get back in this game, maybe force overtime. Certainly didn't get it because... uh, Two, two interceptions. The second one, I, I do think, was just trying to fit into a window that didn't really exist. That one's to Dante Pettis, if I remember correctly. The backfield here, David Montgomery, only at 61 rushing yards, does score, uh, gets five targets, four receptions for six yards. Uh, 
but you know, he at least seems like he kind of dominated the work here. Darrington Evans, who was more involved than I expected a week ago, uh, only had three carries for 21 yards. Yeah, it, it was all David Montgomery. Darrington Evans had one nice run in this game, but truly, as you pointed out in the box score, it's, uh, you know, as long as we don't have Khalil Herbert in the lineup, it probably should just be the David Montgomery show. And the offense is still solid. Like, they make their mistakes, they take their lumps, but the offense is obviously better with Fields in the lineup playing the way he is than like we saw last week. So I think you're still firing him up as like a pretty solid, pretty workhorse running back. Really, the only downside is that we obviously expect Justin Fields to handle a ton of rushing touchdowns, whereas, uh, you know, normally for a running back, seeing as much as much work as Montgomery, you do have a high touchdown expectancy. Not quite as much, but he still plays a ton of the snaps, targets, carries. So, like, he's a pretty strong RB2 bet, honestly. Chase Claypool here got um, kind of banged up, right? Uh, what went on there? Yeah, he rolled up with like a pretty bad looking knee injury. He was, he caught, I want to say it was a 17 yard catch. He catches it and immediately his knee gets twisted up. He fumbles, limps off the field. And like I was, we were slacking about it because I, you know, I may have played some of them in DFS. I'm thinking, oh, well, you know, we're done for the day. We lost already. And immediately reporters like, oh, well, he came out of the tent. He's warmed up. He jogged on the sidelines for a while, eventually comes back in. First two catches both go for negative yardage if you were hoping to get him back in for some big plays. But the fact that he came back is really what mattered. He comes back, plays out the second half. He did have, uh, I believe, on the injury report, which he didn't even get listed as questionable. He got cleared from it. And the issue, so maybe it's more of a re-aggravation of that than a serious injury he suffered in this game. But ultimately, he plays through it. And I do believe they're coming up on their bye week. So he'll get to rest as well. So he finished the game, rest. I wouldn't have any major concerns heading into, I think they're back in week 15. All right, let's move to the... 49ers who defeated the Dolphins 33-17. to Big news here, Jimmy Garoppolo carted off in this game, replaced by Brock Purdy, and then Garoppolo, the news comes out, he broke his foot and will be out for the year. Yeah, Purdy throws two scores, uh, gets one interception. The two scores, frankly, they're, I believe, both one, uh, maybe were like two or three-yard throws to the running backs, or, you know, Kyle Juszczyk, a fullback, both of whom were not particularly covered. I will say, like, he also had a kind of a, not great interception where he throws to a well-covered Brandon Ayuk, throws it short. Xavier Howard just kind of gets to box out for the easy interception. Did have one, I will say, pretty impressive throw right before the McCaffrey, uh, the McCaffrey touchdown, receiving touchdown, in which it was also to McCaffrey, and he throws it like back hip in the tightest window you'll find. And McCaffrey actually just drops it. I mean, it's a tough catch to make, hmm. but it's the only spot you can throw that ball for him to have a chance to score without a, a defender being able to pick it off. So there was some good in that game. Otherwise, it was you know a lot of dink and dunk. Understandably so. They were winning against uh, a team where the, Miami was like struggling consistently in this game. So I'm not surprised they didn't put too much on his plate in his not even his first start. He took over sometime early in the first quarter. I think it was the first drive. So I expect them to continue like really leaning on the run, leaning on a strong defense, and do what Shanahan and this team is built to do, which is if they're passing the ball generate as many yards after the catch as possible. They have the scheme and the talent to do it. So I'm not like excited to play Brock Purdy, but like in super flex leagues, this is a scheme that should at least help him, you know, mask his deficiencies as, you know, the Mr. Irrelevant quarterback. Yeah. I mean, the dink and dunk stuff is not great for most of the offense, but pretty nice for Christian McCaffrey. He led the team tied with Debo Samuel for 10 for the team lead with 10 targets goes eight for 80 and a touchdown, uh, all of which, were you know either the leader or the tied for the lead, um, and he also had 17 rushes for 66 yards. Now Jordan Mason mixed in for eight rushes, going for, for 51 yards. So it's kind of interesting where McCaffrey 
didn't dominate the rushing workload, but getting so much of this valuable receiving work. I mean, for PPR leagues, pretty awesome day. Yeah, it's kind of like a Kamara plus role, right? Like you really don't care if uh, when when the Saints were really cooking a year or two ago, you really didn't care if Kamara was, you know, giving up eight carries to Mark Ingram. You probably are fine with that, especially in, in the analogy McCaffrey in this case has been a little bit banged up since the 49ers have acquired him. So you probably don't mind the fact that he's going to hover between 15 and 20 carries and not be the Derrick Henry 30 carries a game because he's going to have just a massive target share. Again, this week, over 20%. He's consistently seen like over 20% target shares since joining the 49ers. If you give up a few carries to Jordan Mason along the way, that is not a problem because you're going to get still probably 20 plus touches. And as long as you play in a league, there rewards any points for receptions. You're going to get extra points from five to six of those touches. Uh, on the Dolphins side, um, or is there anything to note uh, about the, the 49ers receivers here? I mean, uh, Brandon Ayuk, 5 for 46 on 9 targets. Zebo Samuels, 6 for 58 on 10. George Kittle, 2 for 22 on 3. A disappointing game for him, but it feels like, you know, this Brock Purdy dink and dunk stuff is just not going to be good for anyone. Like, it, it doesn't feel like a coincidence that Debo and McCaffrey, the two guys who can both be running backs, were <laughs> the two guys who combined for 20 targets. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, we also saw Brandon Ayuk pop up for 9 targets, just one behind the other two. So I do think... Somewhat the Kittle Ayuk stuff is a product of what we've seen all year is that this team more so than ever doesn't really have a true wide receiver one. And with McCaffrey in the mix, like if the team is going to play short ADOT in a given game, they have four different options to be their wide receiver one. So I don't know how much of this was dependent on Brock Purdy coming in. Some of it is also just what we've seen all year where you really can't predict who's going to lead the team in targets in any given week. But given what we were talking about, uh, about maybe the team sort of trying to generate as much yak as possible. Wouldn't be surprised to see a lot of layups to McCaffrey and Debo going forward. On the Dolphins side, what happened with their backfield? Did Jeff Wilson have an injury or because he only had one carry in this game? Raheem Mostert had seven for 30. Yeah, he was never listed with an injury designation designation. I continue to look this up because it seems insane that that would happen. I I have what well, I like this. Though there was one hor- like horrible play, which he was uh, like leaked out of the backfield, wasn't exactly sure uh, like where he should sort of drop into like into what appeared to be zone coverage. He wasn't really sure where he wanted to drop in the zone to give to a dump off option. Keeps pushing it downfield, and then as Tua tries to get it through him, he just trips and stumbles into the dirt for the easiest interception. You know, it goes right to the defender because there is mm. not a standing human in front of him. Like, but that's like not a thing I would think a player would get benched for. He just tripped and stumbled. He didn't make like a horrific mistake. So uh, it did just look like they were going full backfield by committee in which in this case, it was Raheem Mostert leading the committee by a considerable margin. Interesting. All right. That'll be something to monitor. Uh, Jalen Waddle did suffer an injury in this game though, right? He returned, but looked very limpy throughout the rest of the game and was subbed out more often than, you know, the rest of the receivers. He, Returned, continued to play, had another catch or two after coming back, I think sometime around halftime, but he clearly didn't look right. That is something that will need to be monitored during practice coming up. I mean, if he finishes the game, which he did, you expect him to play next week, but in what capacity, it's it's certainly up in the air. And Tyree Kill, I mean, you know, with Waddle out, not a shock that things condensed to Tyree Kill, 14 targets. The next highest was Waddle with five. The next highest after that was Alec Ingold at four targets. So the, the whole passing game really feels like it was about Tyreek, nine for 146 and a touchdown. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've seen this to some extent throughout the year where Tyreek is not even a 1A, 1B. He's clearly the number one receiver. But you have to imagine if Waddle is less than 100% or if he's out, like we, it might be the highest target share and air yard share of the week every single week whenever Waddle isn't playing because Tyreek was already kind of pushing for that going, you know, going back throughout the year, let alone the fact that they could be without at least without 100% Waddle. So like you're not really changing up how you view him, but like it could go from him being like on pace to set to like come close to set maybe the the receiving record to really like uh he's going to clear it in week 16. <laughs> That'd be pretty amazing. All right, Kyle Dvorak, thank you. Thank you. The Ravens defeated the Broncos 10 to 9 and Denny Carter uh in the in the race for Russell Wilson to throw more touchdowns than he has bathrooms. <laughs> he's he's down another opportunity here because he did not throw for a touchdown. I can report after watching this game and also studying the box score that Russell Wilson made no progress uh, toward <laughs> equaling the number of bathrooms he has in his very large house. Uh, he is averaging 0.73 touchdown passes per game. This oh, no. 0.73. That sounds like something like, a stat like from like Terry Bradshaw's 1977 season or something. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and, and now, and now it's a sweat. Like he might not get to 12 touchdowns this year. No, it's like le- a legit sweat. Uh, he only has eight touchdowns this year. Uh, he might, <laughs> he might not get there. Um, and yeah. so I asked you before we started, how did they even score in this game? They scored <laughs> nine points. Uh, I, I'm like, don't see any touchdowns, but of course, Nine divided by three. It was just it was Brandon McManus, the 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 team's most valuable player, uh, scored all of their points. And and he, but the thing is, like they actually started fine and and they moved the ball pretty well with with Greg Dulcich being the kind of the centerpiece of the um, of the passing game. He led the team in targets, in yards, and in, in receptions. Had a thirty yard catch down down the seam in double coverage. So it seemed like they were on to something a little bit. And Russ did not play that badly. Like it, hmm. it wasn't just like the horrific stuff we saw against Carolina. And yet they still could not score a touchdown. It is odd, right? Because, okay, so Russ, I mean, quarterback rating is not the best stat, but 102.3 here uh, per the box score. So, okay, you know, that's not a bad quarterback rating. Latavius Murray, 17 carries, 2.8 yards per carry. Again, you know, not the best stat here, but mm-hmm. not good. Not good. Maybe why? Why so many uh, rushes for Latavius Murray and, and very few attempts here? Only twenty two attempts. I mean, the Broncos were in were in full like we don't want to lose mode. You know, like mm. they like there there was really like no attempt to win the game here. If if they had been even slightly aggressive in certain situations, they would, especially in the second half, they would have beaten the Ravens today. Um, there's the Ravens had no business winning this game with Lamar Jackson going out with a knee injury. Tyler Huntley coming in. Uh, not that Huntley was bad, and we'll get to that in a second. But yeah, the the Broncos just just really not not aggressive at all. But Latavius Murray again, he's you know he's seeing like all of the work in that backfield. Mike Boone was back this week. I think there was some concern that Mike Boone would really eat into uh, Murray's workload. He didn't uh, too much. Boone actually started the second half, but was quickly pulled. I don't really know what was going on there. Maybe Murray was you know in the locker room. Uh, relieving himself or something. I don't know. And, uh, and, but Latavius, uh, yeah, it seems, seems like a pretty decent fantasy option going forward. Not exciting, but, but okay enough. Yeah. Uh, Cortland Sutton, did he get hurt in this game? 
He did. Uh, hamstring injury. Uh, he only ran 10 routes. Did not see, did not catch a pass. Only saw one, one target. So Jerry Judy uh, was the wide receiver one here um, in terms of routes and in, in targets. Then Kendall Hinton, Hinton got in as the wide receiver two. Uh, I guess Judy would have, would have some appeal as a wide receiver three option. Maybe I'm trying to be optimistic, Pat, uh, if, uh, if, if, if Sutton were to miss time. Yeah. 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 But probably not Uh, on the Ravens side. Let's talk Lamar Jackson because he goes out with a knee injury here. I saw it was not supposed to be season ending, but you know, if, if that's sort of the terms you're talking about things in probably pretty serious. Yeah. I, I would expect him to, I don't know, probably miss most of the regular season, uh, you know, considering what we only have one, four weeks left of, of the regular, uh, five weeks left. And uh, Tyler Huntley came in and, and played really well, but completed uh, 27 of his 32 attempts for 187 yards, only 5.8 yards per attempt, which is not, not fantastic, but he did throw a pick, but he had 10 rushes for 41 yards and the game winning touchdown. He also converted a fourth and two, on the Ravens final drive uh, where um, it was a, a read option. Uh, the defensive end went after the running back. So Huntley kept the ball and gained four yards for first down, kept the drive going. You know, he, he, he was, he was, he was good, you know, and, and Huntley was good for fantasy last year and he had four starts in place of Lamar last year. Uh, importantly, uh, I'll have to look into these numbers this week, but I do remember Huntley really feeding Mark Andrews last season um, I think they actually had like a like a DFS winning uh, yeah. uh, line at one point, <laughs> um, and uh, I remember that because I was not on it, and I was very sad. <laughs> you remember uh, but, the ones you weren't on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, Huntley. I think Huntley instantly becomes uh, like a must get on the waiver wire for for folks who don't have an elite quarterback. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. Um, and. Okay, let's talk the backfield real quick here because Kenyon Drake was playing ahead of Gus Edwards. Not a ton of value. Seven carries for 29 yards for Drake, six right. for 12 for Gus Edwards. Uh, Drake had three targets, two for 17. Um, so you know maybe this doesn't matter a ton, but he, he was ahead of Edwards, which is kind of interesting. Right. So you have – this backfield is, um, to me, is just so un- uninteresting for fantasy because they just all eat into each other's workload, and you really – have to get fortunate i mean for gus edwards you have to have a touchdown at least one touchdown really for, to, to make it worth your while to play him you have to have game script go just right for gus edwards to pay off today the ravens had to play a little from behind not not from too far behind i mean the broncos only scored nine points but they did have to play from behind a little bit in the second half Kenyon drake came in and played much of that second half um uh, beside huntley and uh you know caught a couple passes seem to function as the lead back, but man, I just, I just feel like you should be looking elsewhere, uh, especially with JK Dobbins coming back. You know, th- this backfield is messy and it's not, it's not going to get cleaned up anytime soon. No. And uh, before we move off this game, the, the it, before we started, we were talking about uh, the fact that the Seahawks have this Broncos pick. They're now three and nine. Yeah. I mean, this is going to be a, a very, very valuable pick that uh, <laughs> right. the Seahawks are getting. One of how many did they get? They, they got two, two first rounders, right? Yeah. Okay. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's the worst trade ever for for the, <laughs> for the Broncos ever. It honestly, might be. Oh man, the Bengals defeated the Chiefs 
24 to 7. Now, Joe Burrow has beaten the Chiefs in three straight games. Does Burrow have Patrick Mahomes' number? Well, I think I think the Bengals defense has Mahomes mm-hmm. number. Yeah. I mean, the Bengals 127-24 here. They the uh I, I have to give them credit. They didn't do what other teams do against the Chiefs. In the fourth quarter, when it was time to convert that third down and not give Mahomes another chance to step on the necks of the Chiefs, they did it. And they 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 converted and they were able to kneel down and drain the clock with, with the Chiefs having no timeouts. And that that's the difference between the Chargers and the Bengals. Okay. The yep. the Chargers think, you know, I mean, it was almost it was almost cute when when the Chargers scored that late touchdown against the Chiefs a couple weeks ago and they're celebrating and you're like, oh, come on. You you know you're gonna lose. You, you, have, <laughs> you have no chance. Like you you should be sad that you scored a touchdown because now you you gave a minute, you gave a minute to to Mahomes to just go down the field and and, and uh tear your heart out. Yeah, so the, the Bengals played really well. Uh, Burrow was fine today. Um, you know, not, nothing spectacular. Lots of dinking and dunking. Uh, it looked to me like the Chiefs were playing a lot of, um, you know, shell coverage, two high safeties. So uh, Mahomes, I'm sorry, Burrow just kind of had to take what was there. 286 through the air, two touchdowns. He also, uh, he rushed. Burrow, Burrow rushed 11 times here for 46 yards. He did score a short touchdown on a, on a run. So really good fantasy day uh, uh, for for Burrow. He had Jamar Chase back. He he targeted Chase a team high uh, eight times here. I'm just checking. Yes, eight times, uh, and that was you know more. And Higgins saw five targets. Boyd saw five targets. P Ryan saw seven. Uh, so the the Bengals offense was gelling. They were taking what the Chiefs were giving them, and it worked out in the end. Yeah, uh, and P. Ryan, huge, huge game here. 21 rushes, 106 yards, mm-hmm. six receptions, 49 yards uh, on seven targets. Yeah. Doesn't score a touchdown. Actually, Chris Evans came in and scored yes. a touchdown that felt like it maybe should have gone to P. Ryan if you happen to have him in any leagues. But uh, still a, still an incredible fantasy game for Samaji P. Ryan here. Yeah, I mean, first of all, P. Ryan has an unbelievable amounts of dog in him. I mean, this guy gives an edge to the Bengals uh, offense that I don't think it has with Joe Mixon. I mean, P Ryan doesn't care. He mows guys down. He, and he's not, he's not nasty about it. He's not trash talking, but like, like he's, he's nasty. Okay. Like he was shedding tacklers left and right in this one. I know he didn't score a touchdown. That's disappointing from a fantasy standpoint, but man, if you picked him up a couple weeks ago and you get two massive workloads uh, um, as just a plug and play RB two. This is this is like you know a dream scenario for for folks who got P Ryan. Uh, that's probably it's probably over. Mixon will, will I, w- I would think I would hope that would clear concussion protocol, be back, take on the workload. It does make me wonder a little bit though if the Bengals will carve out a, a role for P Ryan going forward after after such an impressive two weeks. Yeah, and for listeners who don't know, you famously don't watch the game, so you were able to get all this just from the dots. <laughs> Uh, and and his dot his dot shed a lot of tackles and <laughs> right right and and his and his dot was was uh was really just just had a lot of dog in it i could, I could dot, tell his I dot could has tell. a ton of dog in him. uh it, i wonder if it's a little alexander madison-esque where they're like we know we have this guy kind of in our back pocket so we can yeah. use mixing as much as we want because worst case scenario we'll just use p ryan but i agree it certainly seems like he's earned enough he's he's earned a bigger role than he used to have um 
Tyler Boyd here. Let's talk about him for a second because four for 60 on five targets, not a terrible day, but it should have been bigger. Should have. Uh, Burrow had a beautiful kind of lob pass over uh, over the top of the defense in the first half. Uh, Boyd was wide open on, on what was basically a pick play and just had the most egregious drop that you'll you'll see this year. I mean, I'm trying to be conservative and say it's, it's not it's the worst drop of all time. I'm trying not to say that, but it's pretty bad. It was pretty bad. Check it out. If you can if you can Google that high, that low light. Wow, it was bad. But yeah, it was. It's weird that Tyler Boyd, without Jamar Chase, was basically unusable for fantasy. But here, he catches four balls for sixty yards, including a, a nineteen-yard reception in the first half. Uh, should have been sixty yards in a touch. Should, should have. I'm sorry. Should have been seventy-five yards in a touchdown. I so I can't figure out exactly Tyler Boyd's situation. He's out there on all the routes. I think that that's the the one thing you know going forward with Tyler Boyd. Uh, but other than that, I think he's still like a wide receiver three four. Was Hurst knocked out of this game? He Did was. Uh, calf injury, quickly ruled out. Uh, I, I would guess it's not great for his uh, uh, status going forward. Uh, you have a, uh, a guy named uh, Wilcox. Uh, Matthew? Wilcox? Mitchell. Mitchell, yes. We all know Mitchell Wilcox. Uh, it, uh, he, he took the place as the main uh, route running, I don't want to say pass catching, but route running tight end uh, in place of uh, Hayden Hurst. So, We'll have to monitor his uh, practice participation this week. On the Chiefs side, uh, let's start with the backfield here as well. Isaiah Pacheco gets in the end zone once, uh, 14 rushes for 66 yards. Uh, Jarek McKinnon has eight for 51 um, and catches a touchdown going two yeah. for nine and a touchdown on two targets. Uh, what were your thoughts uh, about the Chiefs backfield here? One thought is that uh, Pacheco runs angry, man. That guy, that dot that I watch on my screen, that that <laughs> runs really mad. He's just really furious all the time, uh, and uh, yeah, and and so here here's here's the thing, the the Chiefs were facing a Bengals defense today that was they were dropping eight and nine guys in coverage in the red zone, wow. um, and so eventually the Chiefs were like. Okay, I, I guess I guess we have to run it. I mean, we're facing you know three or sometimes two guys at the line, and so Pacheco, you know, got got a lot of yardage and then the touchdown uh, from from that from that setup. It, it works out for him. Uh, scored the short touchdown. Uh, McKinnon did kind of eat into his early down workload though. McKinnon saw eight carries for fifty one yards. Uh, and then McKinnon scored that that receiving touchdown. So it's not exactly Pacheco's backfield, but he's you know he's the he's the one A barely. I'll say. Yeah. Uh, as far as the receivers go, Travis Kelsey did not have a particularly big game here. Four for fifty six on six targets, and Marcus Valdez Scantling had two for seventy one. Uh, yeah. But I saw one of those catches. It might have been the long of forty two. He didn't have like any separation. I saw him have a drop, I think, in the end zone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It didn't seem like a great day, even though he led them with 71 yards. He did. Uh, drop, dropped the touchdown. It, it wasn't as bad as Tyler Boyd's, but did, he definitely did drop a touchdown. And he uh, uh, he had what seemed like you know 1.3 million air yards today. <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll have to see what that comes out to uh, in the coming days. But, yeah, I mean, he's it was an MVS-type day. You know, I, I in my blurb on him, is just like, this is this is what you expect. Uh, six targets, which actually tied Kelsey for the team lead. I mean, it was very 
kind of a dispersed, spread out uh, target share today from Mahomes. Um, but you still, I don't think you can start MVS in, in 12-team formats. And then I'll be interested to see Juju Smith-Schuster's uh, route participation. He only caught three or four targets for 35 yards here and was was largely you know kind of absent from the game. So I don't know if, we're, if he's totally over that uh, concussion issue that he's had. Sky Moore uh, was, was as you noted, a Zoomer psyop to begin the season. <laughs> right. It felt like there was a bit of a revenge psyop where uh, you were kind of in on him. Evan Silva was in on him. Now, these people, you, you guys were not in on Sky Moore to begin the year, in on him this week, and uh, got right. me kind of excited again. D- doesn't have a target in this game. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> I want to, I wanna, first of all, issue a formal apology to all the Zoomers who were really into Scott. He did have a carry for 12 yards, so, you know, we had that going for us. That actually does feel right, that he would, he would, he would convert yeah. to a running back now. Yeah, he, he didn't run it. I mean, I, I'd be surprised if he ran, like, 20% of routes today. I, yeah, I guess he's just – that's just not going not gonna to happen. I, I thought they were ramping up his usage – I mean, the, the the hope with him is was, was stemmed from uh, him getting a really strong share of targets on his routes. So it was like limited routes, but a good number of targets on those routes. So we thought that that could continue. It did not. I can confirm. So I don't I don't know what to say about these Chiefs pass catchers besides, you know, good luck. Like there, it's it's ugly and very hard to predict now that Juju is not the sure thing that he was for you know a month there. Yeah. Uh, Justin Watson one for fifteen on one target, uh, so it's not it's not like there's just there just really doesn't seem like there's anybody here uh, other than Kelsey. It's a bit right. frustrating, right? But Danny Carter, thanks. All right, thank you. The longest field goal ever attempted is seventy six yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also seventy six yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Download the RotoWorld app to receive breaking player news all season long. Stay ahead of the competition by favoriting players on your roster. Get the latest injury updates, player news, and much more delivered right to your phone. It's available in your app store today. The Eagles defeated the Titans 35 to 10. This was AJ Brown's revenge game. I covered this game and he delivered on the revenge game narrative with eight for 119 and two touchdowns on 10 targets. Let's talk about the touchdowns here. Uh, The first touchdown that AJ Brown had in this game actually didn't count. It was along the right sideline. It was called a touchdown on the field. Uh, He Barely got kind of his right foot in. Um, it was unclear then if he would have actually gotten into the end zone, but it's called a touchdown. Pretty clearly, his right foot was not in bounds. And like I said, it, it's not clear that even if he had gotten his right foot in bounds, that he didn't go out of bounds before getting into the end zone. So that gets wiped out. The very next play, A.J. Brown scores a 40-yard touchdown. This one very much does count. And I think a much more impressive play, even though um, getting both of his feet in bounds on the previous play would have been very impressive. On this play, he ran a double move that completely fooled the cornerback to the point he was completely out of position. He was kind of on his heels. A.J. Brown uh, 
when the, the second move comes upfield, you know, is barreling upfield, <laughs> runs into the defender who, who he's so out of position, he just like can't even get out of the way. And they actually called defensive illegal contact on the cornerback. AJ Brown runs him over, gets completely wide open. Uh, and when I say completely wide open, NFL Next Gen actually tweeted out uh, Next Gen stats. AJ Brown had 15.6 yards of separation on this touchdown catch. That's the most separation of any completion, 25 plus yards down the field over the last five years. So 15.6 yards between AJ Brown and the next and the closest Titans defender. That's about as wide open as you'll ever see an NFL receiver. And then what's interesting is he then has uh, later in the game a 29 yard. Touchdown, also down the left sideline. Kind of a very similar throw, actually, from Jalen Hurts, but a very different catch for A.J. Brown because on this play, only 0.6 yards of separation between Hurts and his man at the point of target. And at the point of the catch, he was completely bodied up by his defender, kind of pulls back a little bit, is able to bring the ball in to his chest and secure it. Very impressive catch, but for you know completely different reasons than the previous play was impressive. So... You know, just a really nice day for A.J. Brown, frequently targeted throughout the game, uh, 10 targets in total. The engine of the offense downfield could have been a bigger day for A.J. Brown if the Titans had pushed back at all because uh, the Eagles, they pulled their starters. Uh, the, the backups came in with over nine minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the starters, their last drive was uh, completed with almost 11 and a half minutes left to go in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, the last time we saw the starters was with a ton of time left in the game. And obviously, you know, if we get potentially, you know, another two, three drives in a competitive game uh, from the Eagles, that, you know, there could have been more here, um, more meat on the bone. So just a really, really impressive game from A.J. Brown. Devontae Smith, also an impressive game, five for 102 and one touchdown on eight targets. His first touchdown, or his only touchdown, uh, was the, that was actually the first touchdown of the game. And uh, he got very open as well on a long 34-yard uh, touchdown. It was in single coverage where he, uh, he just kind of beat his man. It was a pretty impressive route. A.J. Brown was in double coverage. Hertz looked to A.J. Brown first. Saw he's in double coverage, goes to the other side of the field, go to the left side of the field. Devontae Smith has completely beaten his man. Very nice route. Uh, hits him for 34 yards. He also hit Devontae Smith again for 34 yards. So we have two 40-yarders here for A.J. Brown, two 34-yarders for Devontae Smith. But the second Devontae Smith reception for 34 yards, not that impressive. It was a screen pass. It came at the very end of the half. It was literally the last play of the half in a situation where there's like I don't know, three, four seconds left. They're going to throw a Hail Mary, you think, uh, from about midfield. And instead, they hit Devontae Smith with a screen pass. He goes 34 yards, but he's really nowhere close to scoring. So just kind of the type of, of play that really pads the stats, um, but didn't actually lead to anything of value for the Eagles. But, you know, still a pretty pretty nice day for Devontae Smith. Very clearly the number two here. And frankly, like him being used in the screen game is one of the reasons to be excited about Devontae Smith. He's been used in the screen game all year in a way that A.J. Brown really hasn't. So, uh, you know, not not unexpected that he would be the type of the guy, type of guy they go to for that. Now, Quez Watkins uh, came out after the game 
suffered a, a shoulder injury. So uh, that'll be something to keep an eye on and, and worth noting because he's also someone who's kind of involved in the screen game. Dallas Goddard, who's injured, is involved in the screen game. So maybe we'll, we see even more uh, for Devontae Smith going forward of those screen passes if they don't have Watkins and Goddard. Uh, but that that's definitely going to be something to monitor. Uh, more for how it'll affect Devontae Smith um, and potentially open up targets for like Jack Stoll, who saw three targets going three for 41 here. Um, but, you know, Quez Watkins, not particularly fantasy relevant, five catches, 37 yards on six targets here, um, but still probably worth monitoring if he's going to play next week. In the backfield, uh, Miles Sanders had 10, vers- or 10 rushes for 24 yards, gets in the end zone. That was like a little lucky that he gets in the end zone. What happened there was we're talking about the final score of the game for the Eagles. Uh, they were, you know, kind of just sealing it. And they decided to you know, kick a field goal and they line up for the field goal. They're only about, they're only a few yards away from the end zone, but fourth and long enough where they're, you know, we're up so much, let's just kick the field goal. And the Titans line up in the neutral zone. So the Eagles are okay. So they accept the penalty and they hand the ball off. Miles Sanders, three yard touchdown. But it's kind of, you know, that play like really shouldn't have happened. He shouldn't have even had that opportunity. 10 for 24 rushing is not a good line. If he, if he did not have, you know, if it's what, nine for 21 rushing, two for 14 on two targets. I mean, this could have been a terrible, terrible game for Miles Sanders if they don't kind of luck into the chance to just punch in a, a kind of a free touchdown. Uh, so that's concerning. Is it all that concerning going forward? I, I don't think it necessarily is. They play the Giants next week. The Titans' run defense is very strong. They are not a good pass defense. This was kind of a no-brainer, attack these guys through the air type of game plan, and that's exactly what the Eagles did. So we've seen the Eagles shift pretty dramatically. They, they, they're they fine going very pass-heavy. They're fine going very run-heavy. I wouldn't be too worried about this for Miles Sanders. And again, you know, he, he was pulled. When uh, when all the starters came out, that that drive with about nine and a half minutes left, we saw Kenny Gainwell uh, for one carry, and then they went to Boston Scott. So Sanders being treated, you know, like one of their key players in that regard. So that was that was actually pretty good. Uh, Jalen Hurts was awesome in this game. Uh, 29 of 39, 380 yards, three touchdowns. He was uh, he he ran for one touchdown. Got to the got to the edge, got to the corner. Uh, on on a short touchdown run he also picked up a a number of uh short yardage uh conversions so you know and like the comment the the announcers were commenting like this is like an unstoppable play you know unless they fall start you know that you really can't stop this uh this jalen hurts up the middle qb sneak for you know fourth and one third and one type of conversion uh so very strong game from Hertz. Really took advantage of the matchup. You love to see it. On the Titans side, very disappointing day because Traylon Burks scores a 25-yard touchdown on his one and only target of the game because he suffered a concussion on a hit, unsportsmanlike conduct hit in the end zone. And uh yeah, it was a it was a tough scene where he he went down to the ground and kind of motionless for a little bit and then was kind of moving his legs and everything and uh but still down on the ground and then walks off takes the helmet off blue tent immediately walks to the locker room helmet off uh you know pretty obvious that 
he was going to be in the concussion protocol. We'll have to see if he's available next week. They get the Jaguars. It would be a pretty, pretty great matchup, you know, given what we just saw the Lions do to the Jaguars and really what teams have done to the Jaguars through the air all season. Would be disappointing if he misses that game, but obviously very, very up in the air to play. Uh, and I, you know, you'd have to wonder if if he's able to go. Um, if he's not, I mean, man, there is nothing here, nothing here for the Titans at wide receiver. Nick Westbrook Akine, four yards, two targets, one reception, four yards. Robert Woods, six yards, five targets, one reception, six yards. Just, I mean, it's it's horrible. Uh, Chigo Conquo, tight end, rookie tight end, leads the way with four receptions and 68 yards on five targets. He looks like pretty good. He looks explosive, kind of uh, like Janu Smith-esque, but maybe like I think he's a little smaller than Smith. He's kind of got – it's almost more like a running back type of build, um, almost like Charles Clay or something. <laughs> maybe that's a too outdated of a reference. But he's he kind of gets up the field, and uh, he looks pretty explosive. I'm kind of intrigued by what he'll eventually turn into, but it's hard to trust him for fantasy because Austin Hooper's still just as involved. Three receptions on t- and 22 yards on five targets for Austin Hooper. So uh, he and Okonkwo tied for the team lead with five targets. I would expect that it's probably going to be a split workload at tight end going forward, but Okonkwo is definitely someone that should be owned in, I think, like every dynasty league because – there's not uh, – they just really don't have any playmakers in this offense, and he could potentially turn into someone down the line. Um, I think Burks is a playmaker, but, uh, you know, when he was out, that was – it's just completely exposed their their lack of other playmaking options, and Okonkwo stepped up a little bit. Uh, Derrick Henry, he, he did not do anything in this game. 11 rushes for 30 yards, uh, really bottled up. Three targets, two receptions for eight yards. And, you know, he was involved a little bit in the screen in the screen game type of uh, he it looked like he almost fumbled at one point, but uh, was called an incompletion. So that was that would have been um, that was on a screen pass. It looked like maybe he secured it and it, and it was fumble, but luckily not. Uh, and, it, you know, it's nice that he was involved probably more than it than it feels like with the three targets, because Ryan Tannehill only threw 22 times and, uh, you know, this the game was completely out of reach for the Titans. They actually brought in Malik Willis at the end of the game, so they're pulling their starters as well. And you know that that's how kind of out of hand this got. Now Ryan Tannehill was you know kind of just he took six ta- six sacks in this game, harassed throughout, tweaked his ankle. He looked pretty spry early in the game. He he rushed actually uh, for thirty four yards in this game with a long of seventeen. Looked pretty good. Picked up a fourth and seven in this game with his legs. Uh, but that was all early. And then he was getting hit a lot. And uh, he said after the game, he tweaked his ankle. So it was definitely like he's playing through pain and did not really look the same. And they eventually just put in Willis to preserve Tannehill. So, uh, you know, just a rough, rough day for the Titans on defense and on offense. If they get Burks back for Jacksonville, um, I wouldn't take too much from this. I mean, the, the Jaguars defense is way worse than the Eagles defense. And when the Eagles have been firing on all cylinders, they're an incredibly talented team. Like, and they also had Jordan Davis back for this, this game, which makes a big difference. Um, you know, th- he's a defensive tackle bolsters their run defense in a big way. And I think that that made a big impact. So 
probably kind of one you throw away here for the Titans, but that'll do it for the Eagles and the Titans. The Browns defeated the Texans 27 to 14, but Rivers McCown, should we say the Browns defense defeated the Texans? They scored three touchdowns here. We should say that Kyle Allen defeated the Texans today because <laughs> that's kind of what happened, folks. Um, he was pick sixth and fumble sixth, uh, threw another pick on top of that. And then, of course, the Browns added a uh, punt return touchdown to just, you know, pad up the score a little bit more. Kyle Allen, I believe, had a he like almost dove into the pile like near his own end zone. And then all of a sudden the ball was like it like squirted out like six yards to the left or something. It was a bizarre play. Both of the the Browns return touchdowns, nobody was even close to the defenders on those plays either. <laughs> they were able to just they could have walked it if they wanted to. <laughs> it was it was a true disaster piece theater. And uh Kyle Allen had a QBR of 3.0 today. Wow. Okay. Uh yeah, feels like maybe the type of game where they go back to Davis Mills after this. Was it that bad? Uh Lovey Smith did not commit to anything after the game. So yeah, definitely in play. Um, maybe it'll be Jeff Driscoll. Maybe it'll be, I don't know, some practice squad guy somewhere. Anything different, man. Yeah, that that feels fair. Damian Pierce uh came back to life a little bit here. Uh I mean 18 for 73 isn't the best line. Uh, Three targets, three receptions for 22 yards as well, but a lot better than he'd had in recent weeks. Yeah, the Browns' run defense is a pretty pretty, uh, easy task for most teams this year. And Pierce looked – I think he had like 50 yards in the first half. Uh, Unfortunately, we did not get any benefit from this at all because on the Texans' five uh, goal-to-go uh, opportunities they did not let Pierce touch the ball one time so not great for him <laughs> not great no. for him yeah Nico Collins here scores uh looks like the only touchdown for the uh the Texans in the game but where where did the other touchdown come from oh they had a defensive touchdown they had a safety <laughs> what <laughs> wait how do they get to 14 they had two field goals of safety <laughs> and a uh, missed two-point attempt Oh my god. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I think in this box where they mark the uh safety weird. Okay. Well, um so Nico Collins does score a touchdown, three for thirty-five and a touchdown. I but that came pretty late in the game, right? Yeah, that was on the final drive down twenty-seven to what was that at the time? Uh eight, I think. Yeah, twenty-seven to eight. Um <laughs> Nico Nico goes th- uh three for thirty-five touchdown, ten targets. Uh, had a, an amazing share of the air yards with Brandon Cooks. I think it's like 57% or something. Okay. So, I mean, clearly dominated targets. Uh, obviously, this offense can kill anything. So, it's it's hard to say he has value, but at least kind of in that flex conversation still. From one terrible offense to another, let's talk about the Browns. Deshaun Watson comes back. Looks terrible. 12 of 22 passing, 131 yards. Uh, one interception, no touchdowns. What was going on here? He's been practicing with his team for like three weeks now. That's 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 not a good sign. If I if that were the quarterback that my team paid three first round picks for, I'd be concerned. Um, a lot of underthrows, a lot of underthrows in this game, a lot of worm burners. Um, didn't really look unlocked at all. Kind of looked out of sync on a lot of throws. Uh, it was it was bad stuff. Yeah, good thing they were playing the Texans. I think. Uh, Donovan Peoples Jones led the team with just 44 yards receiving, three receptions, three targets. Amari Cooper had four for 40 on nine targets. 
uh, is there anything to say about the the receivers here? Uh, Cooper again, as with as with Collins, uh, a major air yardage share. I think another fifty eight percent or something. So obviously the focal point of that passing game right now. Uh, I would also add on that Harrison Bryant cannot be trusted when David and Joku's out because uh, well, he went he went one for one with uh, for six yards. So that's <laughs> that's not something that you want to count on now. Yeah, that seems fair. Uh, Nick Chubb, 17 rushes, 80 attempts. Kareem Hunt, 9 for 56. Any thoughts on the backfield? Well, I mean, Chubb got more carries. Oh, sorry, Hunt got more carries than we're used to. Watson had 7 for 21, so he's kind of factoring into that now too, maybe a little bit. Um, they did have one play where they had Jacoby Brissett come out and do third and short, which is a little weird. But, uh, yeah, I think Watson's going to be part of the running game. That's, that's, that's some news, and... I think Chubb continues to have the major uh, majority of the of the carries here. Uh, David Bell had an injury in that in this game. Is that right? Yeah, he hurt his hand in the first quarter. I want to say in the first drive actually, and never returned. So uh, he got hurt. Anthony Schwartz got hurt as well. I think he had. Uh, uh, I think it was a concussion, maybe uh, evaluation. So uh, those two both gone. Uh, the Browns didn't really have a lot of receivers to throw to. Yeah, I mean, David Bell's had no fantasy value all year, but if you're kind of holding on, hoping for this Watson resurgence, uh, Watson looking like this and then him hurting his hand is, is not what you wanted. But Rivers McCown, thanks. The Washington Commanders and the New York Giants finished in a tie, Zach Kruger. And uh, let's talk about the Commanders first. Terry McLaurin had a nice game here, his first 100-yard game with a touchdown this season, 8 for 105 and a touchdown on 12 targets. Yeah, it was a big rebound game, I think you could say, for Terry McLaurin. Uh, 105 yards and a touchdown, as you mentioned. Previous two weeks, he only had 103 yards on what I think it was eight receptions. So really really kind of a nice way for the the wide receiver, one of the commanders, to get out there and, and really put on a nice showing in a divisional game. It's a shame that, obviously, the outcome was... Um, you know, not a little bit better, certainly an awkward way to end a 2020 tie, especially now heading into the bye week, only to return and face the Giants again in week 15. Maybe the maybe the commanders can figure out a little bit more there. But, I mean, McLaurin, he, he had a nice game. Obviously, he ended up setting up um, Joey Sly for a field goal on a 20-yard reception earlier um, in the in the game. But the big play that he obviously made was a 19-yard touchdown that came late in the second quarter after Taylor Heineke found him on a short toss, which has become the Heineke um, signature at this point in time. They're, they're short passes that result in wide receivers or running backs breaking tackles for longer touchdowns. So it was about a five-yard pass that ended up being a 19-yard touchdown after McLaurin was able to shake a defender and get to the end zone. But um, it, was, it was a very solid day for McLaurin. Hopefully in a couple of weeks he can put out another solid performance when they return from their bye week and, and face the Giants again. What you're what are you describing there with McLaurin sounds a lot like what I saw from, from the Jahan Dotson touchdown. He had five for fifty four and a touchdown on nine targets. Tell me about his score. Yeah, I mean you hit the nail right on the head. That was so that was the game tying score for for the Commanders. Jahan Dotson he caught a pass um, for what I believe it was a twenty eight yard touchdown to tie the game at twenty to twenty um, to to. You know, ultimately, that ended up being the 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 game the game ending score of twenty to twenty. But but it was another pass for Jahan Dotson where um, he connected with Taylor Heineke, a short gain. I think it was about a six or seven yard reception that he ended up turning up field for a long score himself. He broke multiple uh, tackles, or maybe I should say, shook multiple tacklers on his way to the end zone for for what was 
an otherwise decent day for Dotson, I would say, overall. Um, it is definitely worth mentioning the way the game script in this one kind of played out when considering Dotson, who really hadn't seen a lot of targets in recent weeks prior to uh, this performance. Uh, the, the commanders trailed for, for the majority of this game in the second half by a touchdown. So that ended up uh, forcing them to, I think, go off of their run-heavy game script that they've been so acclimated to over these last several weeks. It really forced them to throw the ball a little bit more. Heineke had 41 passes on the day, 275 yards and two touchdowns. He did not throw a pick. Um, despite the fact that he had a, a couple errant throws in this one, but he did lose a fumble. But but Dotson's, I think, still going to be difficult to trust at times from a fantasy perspective, just because we're never going to quite know when the commanders, who do have a very good defense, are going to be in a position where they're going to have to air it out 40-plus times again in a game. Yeah, that's a great point. They want to run the ball. They want to run the ball with Brian Robinson, it turns out. 21 carries here, 96 yards, long of 16, 4.6 yards per carry. Kind of a little bit more impressive recently from Brian Robinson, who was really struggling to begin the year. Uh, very, very inefficient as a rusher to begin the year. But uh, good game last week. Pretty good game this week. Two catches in this game, 15 yards on two targets as well. Antonio Gibson had nine for 39 as a rusher, two for 20 on four targets as a receiver. So Robinson seems kind of like he was the clear lead back here. Yeah, I mean, clearly back now for the second straight week. Uh, uh, you know, Antonio Gibson, I think it's safe to say, is probably a decent um, or distant second in the pecking order as far as the, the rush attempts go. And Brian Robinson, the, he, he had the long carry of 16 yards on the day, but he's really, I think, just going to be that back who's going to continue to kind of try to keep the offense in schedule and, and allow the uh, offense an opportunity to not get into too long of down and distances, which would then obviously force um, Taylor Heineken to trying to make, a, make throws that he can't. Um, make at a, at a frequent enough basis to want to rely on him to do so. So I, I think Robinson is really just a back who's going to continue to keep the commander's offense on schedule as frequently as they can. He's gotten that yards per carry up to a little bit over four yards per carry the last couple of weeks, which is obviously good. You mentioned his inefficient running early. That was certainly uh, not helpful to the team, but was it was not enough to hold them back either. But if Robinson's able to keep going and kind of just keep plucking away at, at the defense on a on any given down and distance and keep the short the field short for the Commanders, I think it's going to bode well for this offense going forward, where where their 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 formula is still going to be a ground and pound attack with with a strong defense that's going to require throwing only when necessary. So if Robinson can keep them on schedule, I think this team could be tough going forward. Yeah, the same everything you said kind of applies to the Giants in terms of how they want to play, except they don't have a strong defense, so it's a it's a more fragile thing. But they, I think, very clearly want to be a run based team. Let's talk about their backfield here. Saquon Barkley had 18 carries for 63 yards and a touchdown. The only back to see a carry, Daniel Jones, though, did rush 12 times for 71 yards, uh, lost a fumble, which you know I guess isn't that surprising given that it's Daniel Jones, although he's protected yes. the ball a little bit better this year. Yeah, uh, uh, Saquon Barkley actually I thought had a pretty decent game this one. It's actually surprising. He, fin he finished with under four yards per carry. I was surprised to see how many carries he ended up having, though, on the day of 10 or more yards, um, which included a 13-yard rushing touchdown to give the Giants their first touchdown of the day. Uh, but but Barkley was kind of weirdly bottled up, but then he broke off a few big plays that I think helped keep the Giants in it at other times. Um, obviously, this was a competitive game throughout. It was one that the Giants led through the majority of the of the game, considering, like, again, I mentioned the second half, they were up by uh, seven points for, for just about the entire second half up until that final score by Dotson. Um, but but Barkley and the Giants, I think, are going to just kind of do, like what, like what you just said, what the commanders are doing, hopefully run the ball, get the ball in his hands as much as they can. He had 25 touches in this one. 
um, and did rip off a few big plays. I think if he could find a little bit more consistency with some of those big plays, turn a few of them into scores, and it's going to pay off better for the Giants in the long haul. But when, when your offense is predictable in this fashion with, you know, knowing the defense knowing who you're going to get the ball to as often as you can, it's going to make life tough to score those touchdowns. Certainly Daniel Jones is not doing much to, to create a lot of respect from opposing defenses. No, he's not. Uh, Darius Slayton, though, does seem to be kind of emerging as like a true number one for this team. Um, maybe not <laughs> like in the in the sense he's becoming ultra fantasy relevant, but uh, to the point where he is becoming, I think, somewhat fantasy relevant as a part of this Giants passing offense, which is uh, not very voluminous, not all that efficient. So that's kind of impressive, uh, at least you know semi impressive. Six for ninety here on eight targets. Any thoughts on Slayton in the passing game? Slayton in the passing game, it, it could have been a bigger day for Slayton. Um, he, he, so after the Jahan Dotson touchdown, the Giants had a little over a minute remaining in the game. And on the very first play of that, what could have been potentially the game-winning drive for the Giants, Daniel Jones came out and sung roughly a 50-yard ball deep to Slayton. He had it in his hands. He lost it coming down. But if he would have caught that pass, mm. it would have put him over 100 yards. It would have set the Giants up for probably a couple plays to run to at least have a legitimate shot at, at, a, at a field goal for Graham Gano to win the game in regulation he ended up dropping that pass and then it was two more incomplete passes from daniel jones um which resulted in then uh, a punt a kneel out and then on the overtime they went but but slayton still had a pretty solid day overall he had a 55 yard catch which made up the majority of his 90 yards on the day and then you had said something about him being fantasy relevant it's actually like a legitimate thing that slayton has become a semi-fantasy relevant uh wide receiver i checked after the game um, over the last eight contests, he's gone for double-digit fantasy points in PPR leagues in six of those last eight games. So I think he has some legitimate flex appeal. Might be a tough matchup next week against the Eagles, but if, if he's going to be in there and, and kind of be that deep threat who's capable of seeing a, a decent amount of targets every week, then then why not fire him up in the flex if, if that's what you're forced to do? It's not my number <laughs> one option, but uh, shoot, he, he's, he's been giving you double-digit points six out of eight last games. It's pretty good. I'll note Isaiah Hodgins here had five for 44 and a touchdown on six targets. I think he's like well off the fantasy radar for redraft, but I thought kind of an intriguing prospect. He's taken a few years. He was on drafted by the bills. Uh, the bills guys bring him over to New York. And uh, I think, you know, deep dynasty leagues, if he's out there, you should, you should pick him up. Uh, yeah. Daniel Bellinger had five for 24 on five targets back from a really kind of scary eye injury. Uh, I think he broke his like orbital bone. Uh, earlier in the, the year. Yeah, it was not 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 a great uh, Daniel Bellinger injury. That was a hard one to watch. Good to see him back out there, though. Good to see him involved with the offense, at least. I think you mentioned he had five targets in that one. Didn't have the biggest of day for the for the Giants, but still had a, a, a decent game. Just, sometimes there's, there's those players where you're like, just getting back out on the field is a victory for them, given what they were recently going through. And I, I think that Bellinger qualifies, uh, given, given the... Uh, the, the severity of his injury that he suffered a few weeks ago. So good to see him back out there. He was, he was a pretty exciting tight end to kind of have at a position where you don't get a lot of uh, sexy, sexy play from a fantasy perspective. He was someone who was somewhat emerging at times uh, for fantasy. If he's able to kind of regain his ground and make a couple plays for us going forward in fantasy perspective, then I think he's going to be back on the radar as at least a streaming option uh, down the stretch for, for fantasy managers. I agree. Yeah. All right, let's move to the Raiders who defeated the Chargers 27-20. to More fantasy goodness here for the Raiders' top two options. Josh Jacobs, 26 rushes, 144 yards, and a touchdown. Adds two receptions for six yards on two targets. Devontae Adams, 
eight receptions for 177 yards on 12 targets. This is a very condensed offense. It's a super condensed offense, and it's kind of a shame that what we're going to probably see at the end of this season is a, is a Raiders offense that figures features two really incredible offensive performances on an individual level between Jacobs and Adams, and it's going to be from from you know possibly a, a third place team in the AFC West that's not going to have a chance to even show anything in the playoffs. So, um, really exciting from a fantasy perspective. Really exciting from a you know a historical perspective, seeing two players at their positions just go off in the way that they are. But what's it going to lead to in the wins department? It worked out here for them, but it hasn't worked out well uh, leading up to today's game. You know, just I think this was their fourth or fifth win on the season for the Raiders. But Jacobs did come in after being limited all week with the calf injury, 144 yards on 26 carries, one touchdown. Uh, and then one of those touchdowns, of course, came on a 20 yard run. But then it's just it's just the what we've seen at Jacobs all season where he's just plucking away for for decent gains against defenses that just simply can't bring him down. I, he dragged multiple defenders on multiple carries in this game. He fell just a few yards shy of what could have been a second touchdown of the day. So as they could have been all the more bigger uh, had, had he gotten in the end zone on his on his second carry, then resulting in a Daniel Carlson field goal. Um, at the end of the quarter. So so Jacobs could have had a bigger day himself. And then you mentioned Devontae Adams. He himself went off for, for a huge performance as well, 177 yards out of just 250 passing yards on the day for the Raiders. When you say, it's a, crazy. When you say it's a condensed offense, like it's literally a truly condensed offense. He, he, he had more than half of the Raiders receiving yards. Um, two of those catches came on two long scores, a 31-yard touchdown and then a 45-yard touchdown on a flea flicker um, where he was just wide open in the end zone. Derek Carr really didn't have to do much more than throw it as far to the end zone as he could. Obviously, Adams ran under it and caught the easy touchdown and just continues to be a dominant fantasy force one way or another. His seventh 100-yard game of the season, his fourth multi-score game of the season, Adams has been um, more or less the, the dominant figure that we you know, expect him to be when we draft him year in and year out. And he's been a really uh, fun fantasy asset these last several weeks. By the way, I don't know if listeners could hear the the grunt in the background. That was actually not me. That was my dog. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as he sighed and laid down. Uh, but yeah, the, you know, Devontae Adams, that was that 71%, 177 out of, out of 250. Yeah. So, you know, more than two thirds of the, the Raiders receiving yards. Uh, pretty wild stuff. On the Chargers side, this is a pretty disappointing loss. Um, and I would say if you're looking at the box score, the the name that jumps out to me is like maybe the most disappointing is Austin Eckler. They did have five for 67 on six targets, but lost a fumble, only 10 for 35 as a rusher, doesn't score. Uh, the Raiders are pretty bad defense, particularly through the air. So maybe Eckler wasn't you know set up for a, a massive game, but he's such a big part of the receiving game. Uh, to see him kind of... You know, he didn't he didn't totally dud here, but we have pretty high, high expectations for him and he didn't go off. He didn't go off. You mentioned uh, he had 10 carries for 35 yards. I think we can kind of just look at Eckler's rushing effort and then Justin Herbert's effort dropping back passing. He took five sacks in this one, and it just continues to be, I, I think, a decimated offensive line for the for the Chargers in this one. That's affecting not just Eckler in the running game, but then also affecting Herbert in the passing game as well. I believe I had tallied after the game. The Chargers ran only three offensive plays in, in the Raiders' red zone all day long. 
uh, which is just an indictment, I think, on the offensive line on multiple levels. Of course, the play I'm not counting is the fourth play where they attempted the field goal um, that, that, that they ended up getting on, on the one possession where they were in the, the re- in the red zone. But it was not a great day offensively for the Chargers, for Austin Eckler. They, they found themselves in multiple op- uh, positions late where they were really just trying to extend drives and, and hope to eventually come down with a touchdown. And it ended up happening on a fourth and 12 um, when, when – Justin Herbert was able able to connect with Keenan Allen on a 35-yard touchdown um, late in the game, but but it's just kind of like at that point in time they're just playing catch up. They're they're playing hero ball, and for once the the hero showed up. Keenan Allen hauls in a great touchdown catch, but it, when you're just playing catch up like this all the time, your offensive line is consistently putting you in bad position where you're forced to to make plays that you otherwise wouldn't be asked to make on a on a regular basis if you had a better line. Um, it, it's going to be tough to win games that way. And like you said, the, the Raiders' defense is not particularly good, but when your offense is not offensive line is not particularly good either, you're not going to get a lot done uh, in, in, in the points department. Yeah, that's the that's the tough thing here, because if you had told me ahead of this game that Justin Herbert was going to get 47 attempts against this Raiders' pass defense, I would have been psyched. And yeah. no receiver gets over 100 yards. He only throws for one touchdown. It's I mean, a pretty terrible game. For this offense and and play, and volume is not the problem. You get forty seven attempts. I mean, that's like that's almost like three Falcons games. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, you you can't set me up for stuff like that, Pat. Yeah, that that is what it's like. It it, it it's low level efficiency and, and it's a lot of just trying to make up yards on on lost plays in order to hope that you can eventually work your way back into. Any any single drive to to set yourself up for some points later on down the road. Um, even someone like uh, Joshua Palmer, he had I had just pulled up. I think he had six five catches for sixty yards on the day. Um, shoot, hold Josh on, Palmer had uh, eleven targets, seven receptions, and sixty yards. Yeah, he had sixty yards on the day, eleven targets. Not 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 a particularly big day for him. But you even just expect more out of someone who sees eleven targets on any given day. But not not a lot of big plays being made for Palmer. He has been decent from a a, a fantasy perspective a little bit. I think we can talk about him on the wide receiver three radar. Uh, he's now gone for forty more yards in six straight games and has two hundred plus yard games on his resume. So that's good. But at, even in a game where he catches seven balls for sixty yards, you just kind of expect a little bit more on on something with. 11 targets in a game where, where the Chargers were playing catch up the entire way. So it, it, it it's really tough scenes out there for the Chargers. Gerald Everett had a nice day as well. Um, but it, it's just it, it's just one of those things where, if, if again, if your offensive line is not getting your push up front for the running game, if they're not being able to block for your quarterback, Herbert took five sacks, it's going to be hard to really have sustainable drives uh, down the stretch and you just end up playing catch up the whole game. Yeah, I think that's a good way to sum it up. All right, Zach Kruger, appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Pat. Have a good one. All right, that'll do it for the Week 13 Recap Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to check out all the great content on rotorworld.com. Make sure to check out all the great content on Rotorworld Football Show. And we will be back here next week for the Week 14 Recap. See you then. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. 